0: You're listening to The Briefing, first broadcast on the 20th of December 2022 on Monocle
1: 24.
0: Hello and welcome to The Briefing, coming to you live from Studio One here at Midori House in London. I'm Andrew Muller, coming up on today's programme.
2: No man who would behave that way at that moment in time, can ever serve in any position of authority in our nation again. He is unfit for any office.
0: US Congress suggests that it is past time that former US President Donald Trump was in the dock. Also, ahead, a verdict in what may be the last Nazi war crimes trial held in a German court. Plus, we'll wrap up the latest business news and.
3: I have always a little bit special situation with Christmas because my birthday is the 24th, so I was not a very lucky child.
0: Finland's former president, Taya Halonen, in an excerpt from the Foreign Desk's Finland-themed festive episode. That's all coming up right here on The Briefing on Monocle 24. And welcome to today's edition of The Briefing with me, Andrew Muller. Whatever other criticisms may reasonably be made of former US President Donald Trump, he has established a remarkable number of new benchmarks for occupants of the White House. First to be impeached twice, first to have his home raided by the FBI, among other bold innovations. Yesterday, Trump added to this spectacular resume, becoming the first president against whom Congress has recommended criminal charges be brought. I'm joined on the line and by Scott Lucas, adjunct professor at the Clinton Institute, University College Dublin, and by Monocle's Washington, D.C. correspondent Chris Chomack, who is here with us in London this week. Um, Scott, first of all, how significant a moment is this in, the, I guess, the broad sweep
4: of American history? Well, it seems like we've had a lot of significant moments <laughs> with uh, the unique feature that is named Donald Trump, but this is potentially one of the most significant. I mean, it is, of course, historic. It's the first time that a former president has faced the recommendation of criminal charges. Uh, But the question will be whether the Justice Department proceeds with those criminal charges, say, for example, next year, because the charges, and this is where the significant comes in, are very, very serious. I mean, we are talking about aid to insurrection, which is one of the most serious charges you can face because you're being accused of trying to overthrow your own government. And then when you add to that uh, the obstruction of a government investigation, government proceeding, which of course is the House investigation into the Capitol attack of January 6, 2021, when you add uh, the two charges, which are conspiracy uh, to make false statements and conspiracy to defraud the U.S. government, which are linked to Trump's attempt to overturn the election and prevent uh, Joe Biden from taking office, you are really talking about about something which is as close as we've come to America to a coup, uh, an attempted coup by a president. And, And the question of whether you ever have accountability for that, whether you ever have the system standing and saying, it doesn't matter if this guy's name is Donald, Bob or John, you know, we can't allow justice to be denied. This will be a test of the American system, even if the man has been out of office since 2021 and may now find it difficult to return to the White House in 2025.
0: Uh, Chris, we touched on this a little bit yesterday, the difficult judgment that the Department of Justice is going to have to make at some point. Obviously, as Scott was just saying, this report does not oblige the Department of Justice to proceed against Donald Trump, but might it provide a certain amount of political cover if that's what the DOJ wants to do? Because it is a, I mean, obviously, it should be above politics, but Nothing ever is. And you would you would find yourself in potentially the very strange situation of running a prosecution uh, with a very high uh, possibility of a severe prison sentence against somebody who is, in fact, running for president.
1: Yes, and, and sadly, short answer I think is no, Andrew. In part, <laughs> in part because, of course, we know that this House committee uh, investigating January sixth was not supported by Republicans. That was one mm-hmm. of the sad aspects of this when it first started. Though two Republicans did, of course, join the panel in defiance of their own party. So when you speak of cover for the Justice Department in that sense, it was interesting. I was reading through some of the sort of, the executive summary has already been released of the report as part of the hearings yesterday. And even they sort of acknowledge this aspect of it, that this has been not supported by Republicans and therefore, you know, not everyone will be reading this. They they hope that it reaches the public eye, but they very mm. much acknowledge there has also been an effort to undermine this report from uh, from many people on the Republican side. So to your point about the Justice Department... The question is still there. Will they go ahead with a charge against Donald Trump at this particularly fraught time with him running as president again in 2024 as well? This report does not provide them political cover from that, given that the entire January 6th committee has been sadly politicized. What it does offer is reams and reams and reams of transcripts and witnesses and statements. And you look through this report from the start to the finish, the the way that they lay out the case, the amount of different people they interviewed, all talking about what Trump was thinking ahead of time, that he had planned to deny the election ahead of the election itself and so on and so forth. The people who were at January 6th believing they were doing this because Donald Trump had called them there all of that should feed into whatever the Justice Department decides. Uh, Scott, which does prompt the the
0: hardy perennial where Donald Trump is concerned, i.e. the one about will this latest outrage actually make any significant difference to his political fortunes? Because you can already see how he's going to spin this. This is yet further proof of the deep state plot against him to thwart the popular will, uh, etc. and amen. But does this make his chances of securing the republican nomination at least uh, any slenderer
4: yes and i say that for two reasons one is is on the legal front uh to follow up on what chris has said uh i think if you had asked me a year ago whether the justice department would be inclined to proceed with criminal charges against trump i would have said at that point uh, probably not because of all the Trumpists out there, and there are still quite a few who will shout deep state conspiracy and hoax. But what I think has changed in the past year has been, of course, that accumulation of evidence that Chris talked about. But also, Trump is politically weaker, and he's politically weaker for the blunt fact that he did not deliver on victories for the Republicans in the 2022 midterm elections, especially in the U.S. Senate. A lot of the high-profile candidates that he backed lost in the key states such as Georgia, Arizona and in Pennsylvania. And that, I think, means it makes the Republican establishment a little bit less inclined to give him protection. Uh, yes, the House Republicans, those fire breathers will continue to to go down with Trump, uh, whatever his fate. But the Senate Republicans, especially Mitch McConnell, that's a different question. And I would add to that on the second front, specifically on the political front, the Republicans have an alternative now. They can have Trumpism without Trump. They can go to someone like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And that means they don't have to continue to shield him like they have been doing ever since 2017, which gives a little bit more space for the Justice Department, if the legal grounds are there, to proceed with a criminal prosecution.
0: Scott Lucas and Chris Chomac, thank you both for joining us. You're listening to The Briefing. Here is Monocle's Sophie Monaghan-Coombs with the day's other stories.
5: Thanks, Andrew. Vladimir Putin has described the situation in four areas of Ukraine that Moscow has unilaterally declared part of Russia as extremely difficult. It is one of his clearest public admissions yet that Russia's invasion of Ukraine is not going to plan. Putin's comments were made on Security Services Day, which is widely celebrated in Russia. Javi Weinstein has been found guilty of rape and two counts of sexual assault by a jury in California. This marks the second conviction of the Hollywood movie producer who became the face of the Me Too movement five years ago. And authorities in China are rushing to boost the number of intensive care beds, health workers and medication supplies as COVID-19 surges through the country. Officials have acknowledged it is impossible for the testing system to keep track of skyrocketing cases. Those are the day's headlines. Back to you, Andrew.
0: Thank you, Sophie. You're listening to The Briefing on Monocle 24. Time to take a quick look at the latest business news with Ewan Potts at Bloomberg. Uh, Ewan, first of all, a surprise move by the Bank of Japan
6: yeah, this has been the year, if nothing else, that interest rates around the world have finally normalized. It began uh, last December, actually, with the Bank of England, the first G7 bank to raise interest rates. But it was been led by the Fed this year, taking interest rates in the U.S. from around zero, uh, nearer to three or four percent. That has been the broad movement amongst uh, central banks around the world. But there was one holdout, and that was the Bank of Japan. And uh, this morning, the Bank of Japan has surprised investors by moving not on the main interest rate, but on its bond policy. So it has a policy of capping 10-year bond yields, and it has allowed that uh, to rise slightly from a previous limit of 0.25% to 0.5%. Now, that might sound rather in the weeds, rather insignificant, but it is actually a very big move. It surprised investors because uh, Governor Haruhiko Kuroda uh, is on his way out. He's leaving at the end of April, and it had been expected that Japan would leave its interest rates unchanged until Kuroda left. But he is signaling that uh, the bank is going to move perhaps towards some sort of normalization. And this has really uh, taken uh, investors by surprise. Uh, we've seen uh, a big jump uh, in the yen. The expectation is that this will mean that uh, money returns back to Japan. Of course, Japan has a lot of savings, lots of older people in Japan with a lot of money, and much of that money is parked abroad because the returns they can get on Japanese bonds are, are virtually zero. So there's an expectation that money will flow back into the Japanese economy, but more broadly, uh, fascinating that the final holdouts in uh, ultra low uh, monetary policy is starting uh, to move towards uh, something uh, more more normal Um, moving
0: along as we look back at this year it has been a fairly gruesome one for all kinds of stocks but tech stocks especially but there is one company perhaps unsurprisingly which appears to be bucking that trend
6: yeah, it's been a pretty brutal sell off, as you say, for, for stocks uh, right around the world, but particularly tech stocks, particularly very highly valued stocks have suffered this year uh, as that easy monetary policy uh, has changed around the world. Uh, Meta has been the worst performing of the big tech stocks. The owner of uh, Facebook investors really are unconvinced about its expensive move into the uh, unknown metaverse uh, and also the abandonment by a lot of young people of its uh, uh, of uh, the Facebook platform, its shares are down by almost two-thirds, down 65% over the course of the year. Even our pandemic friend Amazon has seen that its shares sell off by nearly 50% this year. Alphabet, the owner of Google, down 38%. But Apple, uh, the biggest tech stock of them all, in fact, the most valuable company in the world, its shares down a mere 24%. And the reason is because Apple is uh, not just very profitable, but they've been returning the cash to shareholders. Uh, If you've ever bought an iPhone, you'll know that they are very expensive. There are about a billion iPhones in existence uh, around the world. And uh, they are very, very profitable devices. And once somebody has an iPhone, they tend to buy other devices. And once you're plugged into that ecosystem, uh, you often are very loyal to to the the Apple brand. So Apple has a lot of customers paying a lot of money and it is a very profitable business. Uh, And it has been returning this cash to shareholders. In fact, more than $450 billion over the past five years has gone back to shareholders. So rather than splashing cash uh, on uh, buying other companies, which is uh, often the temptation for management, Apple has been returning the cash to shareholders. So its uh, shares have not sold off quite as much as uh, some of the others. Ewan Potts at Bloomberg, thank
0: you as always for joining
6: us. You're listening
0: to The Briefing. You're back with The Briefing on Monocle 24 with me, Andrew Muller. Prosecutions of Nazi war criminals have become increasingly unusual for the fairly fundamental reason that there are no longer many suspects still alive. This week's conviction by a German court of a 97-year-old former secretary of a concentration camp commander will be among the last of its kind. Imgard Furchner was given a suspended two-year jail term on charges relating to her work at Stutthof, a camp in Nazi-occupied Poland. Perhaps 65,000 people died there. I'm joined with more on this by Daniela Pellet, Managing Editor of the Institute of War and Peace Reporting. Um, Daniela, you're a familiar voice to our listeners from here in the studio. You join us today uh, from Tel Aviv. Uh, how big a story has this been in Israel?
2: Well, this has been reported, but I mean, I, I wouldn't exaggerate its significance. Um, she was a, a, a fairly minor figure, really, in the... Um, the cog of the Nazi death machine. Um, and the, the conviction is significant, as you said, because it's going to be one of the last, but also because it maintains the principle of, um, uh, of there being justice for, for such crimes. But it's not... It's not been it's not been earth shattering here. Let's put
0: it that way. I mean, this case in particular has raised a lot of the questions which have been increasingly raised about these prosecutions in recent years. One that pursuing people uh, who are nearly a hundred years old is is a little bit perhaps arguably vindictive, especially if they did, as you say, uh, form relatively minor roles. But is there the sense that it is nevertheless important because? whatever justice is still available to be done must be seen to be done
2: well i i I would agree um definitely that's important the principle is important and as you also notice she was given a two-year suspended sentence no one is is talking about casting a 97 year old off to prison but it it does send an important message that there is no statute of limitations on 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 such crimes and uh, the the purpose of prosecution is also to punish individuals but it's also to Sent an example and to, and to um, show the wider society that there is um, there is justice, and also to show potential perpetrators that there are consequences for their actions. And now, um, uh, as I've talked to Monaco before, my, my, um, my work, the Institute for War and Peace Reporting, is now very much involved in covering the ongoing war crimes trials in Ukraine. And I think that, that a precedent was set, in a way, in the Second World War that continues to this day and makes the idea of war crimes and crimes against humanity and genocide uh, punishable in the course of law.
0: I mean, is it also, I guess, important to demonstrate, and this is, I guess, where the argument for continuing to prosecute people, even into old age, uh, does have resonance, that the very fact that this could be anybody's grandmother does tell us something about, or at least does remind us, that it, it's, it's not snarling monsters with horns and a tail that do this. It is, it is by definition, ordinary people.
2: Well, absolutely, and I would hope you know in, in fifty or sixty or even seventy years' time, uh, although justice processes work a, a lot better and more efficiently, and there's much more awareness of them now than there was at the uh, you know, just after the Second World War, I would hope that we are still prosecuting um, people who were involved in, in in Assad's torture chambers in in Syria, for instance, because, as you say, it's ordinary people that do this.
0: Um. Um, you mentioned earlier that this story was not being regarded as huge news in Israel, but is there any concern in Israel and elsewhere that when there is no longer a a human face that or a living human face that can be put to these crimes, that they do start to fade from the collective memory, and that does uh, further embolden that you know that that class of increasingly voluble weirdos who want to try and insist that none of this ever happened?
2: Well, that's already very much the case. I mean, it's not just, it's not just uh, outright um, Holocaust deniers, but the, as, as the memory fades, people actually don't really understand what the Holocaust involved and what genocide actually is. And people see it as comparable to just a bad thing that happened, for instance, or say that Israel's occupation of the Palestinians is uh, performing another Holocaust on them. And while the occupation of the Palestinians is a, a whole other potentially criminal effect certainly not uh, not genocide so as so memory has already faded and people's understanding has already changed and I don't think um, that there are still people alive who remember it and who were there there doesn't uh, it's not enough to give it this that sort of um, concrete credibility
0: Daniela Pellard at the Institute for war and peace reporting thank you very much for joining us you're listening to the briefing on monocle 24 <laughs>
2: Enhance the year to come and treat yourself or someone special with a Monocle subscription this festive season. Monocle offers something that you won't find elsewhere, a truly international perspective and unrivaled insights into business, culture, design, and more. A present that lasts all year, bringing big ideas, stories of opportunity, and plenty of optimism direct to your door. When you subscribe, you'll get a 10% discount in our shops and online. And of course, a free limited edition tote bag. As well as 10 issues of the magazine, you'll receive our annual specials and access to our exclusive digital travel guides. To round out our 15th anniversary year for a limited time only, there's 15% off with code RADIO15.
0: You're listening to The Briefing on Monocle24. Finally on today's show, continuing with what seems like a recurring theme this week of cross-promotional plugging of this week's edition of Monocle24's The Foreign Desk. In our defence, it is a special festive episode, and this year we went with a Finnish theme, hearing from an ambassador in his sauna, Santa Actual Claus, producer of this very programme, Markus Sippi, a choir of shouting men, and in this excerpt, Finland's former president... So uh,
3: now I have always a little bit special situation with Christmas because my birthday is the 24th. So I was a not very lucky child because we celebrate in, um, in Scandinavia. We are celebrating Christmas Eve more than the Christmas day like they do in the UK. What we are doing normally, and I do the same now when I'm a so-called free citizen, at Christmas time uh, we take things slow and enjoy the time with the family. So there are four important things. The first is food. We have a traditional food. It's, in the matter of fact, quite much vegetables, because in old days, of course, we hadn't too much meat, but also the meat sometimes. But then the food, it should be as much as possible. Then Christmas sauna, and then we give the gifts, or we tell to the children, and also partly we grown up, pray that there is a Father Christmas. Something what I have noticed with my children, when they have had a foreign of the guests outside of Finland. Many things visit cemeteries to pray scandals by the loved ones. I have not noticed it by myself before the uh, the guests, uh, my, my daughter, that somebody has complained that in Helsinki it was very, very quiet in Christmas time. And then they said, where are all the people? So, so we answered that, yeah, most of them go to the countryside if they have a cottage there, the summer place. But the second thing is that they go to the cemetery. It's not the Mexican way. We just put them flowers and candles. Remembering our loved ones which are no more with us. Then you go after that to Sauna and after that starts terrible eating. And then um, Christmas Day is uh, totally normally only with family members. So people try to survive and from overeating and then uh, Boxing Day. So this is traditionally the day for the visits.
0: And when you are president of Finland, are you obliged to address the nation on Christmas Day? Is there a tradition of a presidential message?
3: Uh, no, that's very UK system. We, <laughs> we do in the way that students uh, brought every year a Christmas tree for me. And then uh, also the fishermen used the old tradition to give a Christmas feast to the president. That was from the time this 700 years uh, co- co-family <laughs> with Sweden when we were their part of Sweden. So in those days, they brought uh, presents to the king because we were a country behind the sea. It's a good way for people from all islands that, that they uh, remind themselves giving the fish. But this is very interesting uh, present because uh, you cannot order it beforehand. People from the islands, they don't know whether they will get a fish or not. I don't know which kind of system they have, that they always have had a fish. That has been always uh, two, three days before the Christmas. But Christmas itself is very, very much the family thing. So um, the president gives a speech, annual speech, concerning political situation and what happens in the world, the 1st of January. So it starts with the new year, but Christmas is totally private.
0: Well, you've foreshadowed there one of the themes of our Christmas episode, which is the idea of sauna diplomacy and and how Finland uses the sauna to project itself in the world. What does the phrase sauna diplomacy mean to you? Why do you think it's an effective way for Finland to do business?
3: That part, I wanted to speak also with the younger ones in the (coughs) office. (laughs) Um, So first, uh, one fact: There are around three million saunas in Finland. And now when everybody is looking after the energy, you can guess that uh, the Finns perhaps do the Christmas sauna again, but it's not on public issue. I mean, that uh, they might do it, uh, but they don't see that if they see that the uh, neighbour sauna, it's coming smoke out of the sauna, because <laughs> that, that's just, no, we didn't notice it. Because uh, Christmas sauna is very important. But sauna can be found in homes, especially in summer cottages, but it can be in old days. It was also in the offices and factories in a way that it was a place to take a guest. And of course, when we are not very talkative, especially Finnish men are not very talkative, so it was always an amazing situation that just those Finnish people, they didn't speak almost nothing. They were a little bit, how could I say, keeping the distance. But then they ask to come for the evening to sauna, and then they take the coats away and go to the sauna. And sometimes it is an amazing situation. But uh, originally, I think when you, you already asked beforehand that whether it's a weather issue, partly yes. Yeah. I think that it has been partly the question that uh, this has been a quite uh, challenging uh, Circumstances to live. And uh, so, um, sauna has been also the path to keep everything clean and healthy. But it's also a place I would like to say that nowadays it could underline, but we try to find a good word. But uh, so, I think that it would be in a way the body piece. It's a place where we are respecting our own bodies and other person's bodies without any judgment. So you have to behave in the way that you are not watching that how the other one is moving, <coughs> but you keep on eyes level. We always say that everyone is created equal, but uh, nowhere it's more than in sauna, because when you take <laughs> this away, so it's really a very equal place. There are no titles, no uniforms, but um, one thing, what I would say that nowadays men and women don't go to the mixed sauna if they are not uh, close relatives or friends. That uh, this is different. What I know that, for instance, in German university, <laughs> that was <a coughs> typical, So no, no, we don't do that. Uh, but most of all, sauna is for relaxation. And uh, sauna cleanses the body, but also in a way purifies the mind because it's not either around to speak and difficult issues. So, for instance, when the politicians went to the sauna, men and women separately, in a way it's uh, uh, doing something softer than what you do at the, t- uh, at the meeting table or at eating. That you, you do it in a way that now we are just the human, human persons.
0: Just finally, do you think there is an aspect of sauna culture that every country could take on board, even if they can't build the saunas quite as well as the Finns can build them?
3: Uh, I would say first that be careful with the Finns who have sauna, because uh, you never know it's like a a narcotics. That first time you just taste it, you think that uh, this is not dangerous. But after you have started to use the sauna, you might be hooked for that. <coughs> and uh, I have friends in Latin America, for instance, or in South Africa, who have also sauna because they have noticed that even in the very hot temperature, when you go to sauna and then after that, you feel it, that weather is cooler because it's the difference between that temperature. I would say that uh, sauna is all like all the other things what you don't know yet. Taste it. You don't know whether you like it or not. But I have I have given a warning for you. You can you might be hooked for that.
0: That was Taya Halonen, former president of Finland. You can and indeed should hear the rest of The Foreign Desk's special Christmas episode on our website or wherever better podcasts are downloaded. That is all for this edition of The Briefing. It was produced by Marco Hippi. Our studio manager was Nora Hule. The Briefing returns tomorrow at the same time and playing us out Terry Hall former lead singer with the specials who has died at the age of 63 the specials formed in Coventry in the late 1970s were colossally influential musically politically and sartorially the heart of the ska scene around the two-tone record label but there was yet more to Terry Hall his dolorous deadpan vocals decorated tracks by Funboy 3 The Colourfield, and collaborations with Bananarama The Go-Go's Sinead O'Connor Gorillaz and Two and The Maytals, among many others. This was the special's very first single from their 1979 debut album, Gangsters. I'm Andrew Muller. Thanks for listening.